0: Oh, and then there's no camera. That's great. So we'll just do this. Look at that. My camera went away. There's sound for me. Pastor Koontz's face is there for the world to see, but there is no Fisk, which is kind of amazing. Actually, you can see me on Zoom now. What on earth? How would... <laughs> Hello, internet. How are you today? Pastor Koontz, let's just start talking and maybe while you're talking, okay. I'll figure out how to get my camera working again. We yeah, had a no conversation worries. a week ago, not quite, almost a week ago, that yeah. nobody nobody got to hear except for me because if I played it, they'd only hear me and they wouldn't hear you because there was no nice. sound through a loop back to go from Zoom whatever into the podcast into into YouTube or whatever. So one of the most nice. important things I need to know right now is to make sure you're being heard. So those of you who are are watching live right now and we got 20 of you already, uh would you just let us know that you heard Pastor Kuntz say, all right, uh-huh, and yeah, as he did a couple times. And then, <laughs> as he's going to answer this first question as well, is his volume doing okay? There's a couple things I can do here to finagle it. But uh, needless to say, Zoom and and recording on your desktop don't always work uh, as easily as you might think. So, as, as easily as I would think. Let's say that. Let's say that. So, Pastor Kuntz, you and I talked about a great deal of things
1: uh and it's oh, man. As we, as we do, as we are one. But but yeah. to
0: summarize the you know the existential moment of life transition, present media communication, entertainment mythology deconstruction and replacement. Right, it was something yeah. better that has to do with human proximity and neighborhoods and things. I mean there's a lot there and they can hear you. So I don't know. What do you remember? I got a few notes to go from, but um, <laughs> I know you'll say very valuable things.
1: Okay. So, I mean, I think we got into it by talking about our general relationship to government, which we can talk about again today if you want to. But one of the things that we usually don't discuss when we talk about uh, politics and relationship to government is that uh Classical Lutheran discussions of this usually involve uh, legitimate scriptural ideas about obedience uh, to higher authorities, uh, submission um, and conscience that you obey authorities, whether it's your, you know, your dad uh, or the government generally, because having a dad or having a government is better than not having a dad or not having a government. That uh, is all true and good to go as far as it, you know, goes. But the one of the things that isn't really covered because it wasn't a live issue in the times when a lot of the um, doctrine that we still proclaim on uh, government and obedience was hammered out, and that is the existence of a storytelling function in society that is neither the state, which is ordained by God to punish wickedness and reward goodness, nor the church, which is ordained by God to proclaim the gospel for the salvation of mankind. In addition to the state and the church, and I think much more powerfully informing people's lives on a day-to-day at this point, because of smartphones moment to moment basis is what you could broadly describe as media, things that come in between in the literal sense of the word and the media could be entertainment media, it could be news media, but as we talked about last week, the function of both entertainment and news is to tell you a story. So there are hard data in any given story. You know, if I'm trying to tell a story about President Trump, I can't tell a story about President Gerald Ford, It's just, it's just unless I somehow connect it to Donald Trump. If I'm trying to tell a story about heroism, I have to have a hero, uh, even if I have nothing else in the story. If it's, you know, a movie, let's say. But the art in media, whether it's news media or entertainment media, is not the hard facts that you know this much more about Trump than you did before, or this much more about heroes than you did before. It's to tell you a compelling story. And that is what informs people's lives. And it's on the basis of that that they make decisions. And it's on the basis of that that you see entire populations changing their behavior in a matter of months, things that people have never done before terms that they never heard before. Nobody, I don't think anyone had heard the term social distancing in like January. And now uh, people obey these, uh, these rules uh, themselves without any compulsion. So uh, it's that function of media that, and it's storytelling that is at the heart of media that I think is one of the biggest things that we have to kind of think about. There's a lot else that we talked about, especially with relationship to the government. But that to me is the undiscovered territory that the church doesn't quite know how to handle. Um, I think sometimes we've thought that it was neutral. Sometimes we're willing to admit that it could be very evil, right? So um, everybody sort of admits that really violent or really erotic media is kind of bad for you to look at. Generally, it's bad for the soul. But beyond that, we don't have a lot of guidance or intuition or discussion. We've never really studied
0: it. I mean, media ecology is a infant science. And I've always wondered, like, like we just embarked on this whole species transition from never seeing a flickering screen before to let's all have one plugged into our head and, <laughs> and you know, in a century and, right. and didn't bother to ask, uh, what's this going to do to rational thought? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and uh, what does it mean uh, to be literate now versus, say, 100 years ago? Um, can you... I'm trying to remember what I read just this morning that was along the lines of uh, can you think if you cannot write? Is it possible? Uh, and, and uh, at least at certain levels and about certain things And uh, we're entering or, or we intentionally entered an age where we kind of said, well, you don't have to you don't have to write to think. Uh, you just have to be able to hear and see right. Uh, right. And yet you, know, you mentioned obedience earlier, I think we're gonna circle back to that sooner than later. Um, There's a place for order. There's a place for uh, believing we are to be told things we are. Uh, There is that. Mm -hmm. But the current media, the current voice, uh, doesn't ever seem to be going anywhere but back to itself. uh, In some sort of like uh, power-sucking hunger. And again, I've never really until this week even thought, you know – Maybe television is in fact something planted by aliens to take over all of our minds without us realizing it. (laughs) And then thought, Jonathan, that's a conspiracy theory. And then thought based on our conversation last week, Oh yeah. Conspiracy theories. Those are the things that are dismissed without ever bothering to look into them because.
1: Right. All right then. Right. And, and I, I think if you, uh, something that we talked about is this Google Ngram viewer, which is a tool that, you know, Um, You can go look up right now and you type in a phrase or you type in a word um, The phrase can be as long as you want. Um, It could be social distancing It could be conspiracy theory and you can see the frequency in the books that Google has cataloged of that phrase You'll notice that the phrase conspiracy theory is of relatively recent vintage It's really since the Kennedy assassination that the phrase exists great now the existence of conspiracies I mean there are conspiracies in scripture there are conspiracies in history. Um, you know, there, there, there are numerous examples you could think of. Um, the, the point of the phrase conspiracy theory is not to refute something. It's to shut down discussion of it. Right. You see that. So if you say, you know, if if, if I'm known to be somebody that steals cookies and uh, I show up at your house and I'm staying for a week and I get noticeably fatter and you have no more cookies at the end of the week, you haven't seen me eating cookies you know, and so you say, uh, did you eat all of my cookies? Did you eat all 15 packages of cookies? And I could say with a full mouth, no, that's just a conspiracy theory, you know, because you don't have any proof. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't see me eating the cookies, so you're probably just paranoid. It's
0: just another way to say, judge not, lest you be judged, in a sense. <laughs> right, right, right. It, it's, right. It's a... I,
1: I mean, it really is pay, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right. right, right. And uh, yeah, speaking of Oz. Speaking of Oz, there, there's a connection well,
0: there. But but Romans 13, yeah. there is a man behind the curtain, Jesus, right? I mean, there, there is a man running the system. Uh, right. There is a man who is king. Uh, whether or not we believe what we confess uh, it, it is true, how does that connect to this? Because, again, you mentioned Lutherans, Christians, have generally yeah. taught submission to authorities. Yeah, good thing. Yeah. Um, so how do we also then teach evil authorities and then how do we teach what to do in response?
1: Okay. So in our history, we have in Lutheran history, specifically one big example of this, which was the debate about military resistance to the Holy Roman Empire, which if their armies had conquered the Lutheran lands uh, after the death of Luther altogether, that would have extinguished Lutheranism. And eventually the Lutherans came up with the doctrine of what are called lesser magistrates, which are God doesn't just ordain an emperor, let's say. He also ordains other powers beneath that to defend and protect life. And those powers are also responsible sometimes to resist tyranny from above. So you can look up that. You can look up the Magdeburg Confession. Uh, Magdeburg is a city in Germany. Kind of sounds the way I said it. Um, There's that. And that did influence indirectly through uh, some French thinkers that did influence John Adams in discussion of what is the right that the colonists have to revolt against the king.
0: That's really interesting that it made that connection all the way down to him. What I want to ask then, I'm summarizing, you just kind of keep going. I mean, it sounds like what happened in the early Reformation was that you had a, I think it was called just war theory develop Mm -hmm. uh, as a means of saying that, yes, the Christian is to turn the other cheek generally speaking with regard to his person, but that for the sake of uh, those whom he protects, uh, he is to defend them with his life, which doesn't mean dying necessarily. It might mean putting the evil man to death. That is where all authority is ultimately given and comes from. And it flows, I think, from the father initially to the town right um right. and then the question is you know in a world of fallen men when wicked kings are going to do what wicked kings do and and wicked presidents are going to do what wicked kings do in the name of presidency you know mm-hmm. you know, you you're, do you have a right not only to say um uh, I must obey God rather than men, do Christians have a right to band together and defend themselves? And mm-hmm. that, I think that's a fair question right now. I think that's a question that's being asked by Christians in their consciences, and I think it's a question that modern, popular Christianity will not touch with a million-foot pole. No. It, it is too dangerous to allow Christians to believe that there could become a time where they have to defend their walls. And uh, I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it either, but I'm like, we got to at least ask this thing and get right. something more than say the, the Quakers and and quietism
1: as our as our only alternatives. So, so, so. yeah. So, I mean, kind of a, like, a, like a not a 10,000 foot view, but let's say a 5000 foot view. The distinction that already exists in our confessions is between public redress or revenge, depending on what you're reading and private redress or revenge. That is, as a Christian, I'm forbidden by the Sermon on the Mount to go around avenging all of the wrongs that are done to me. I, I, do, I turn the other cheek. Uh, but in my office as a father, for instance, if my home is attacked, I must, for the sake of that little republic of my family, I must defend them. For the sake of my country, I must defend my country from foreign invaders, right? So by public, don't just think like in the news media or the entire United States, public, he means anyone that you're protecting as part of your office, the mother defending the children, the father defending the family. There's that distinction. There's also something that, and this is where I think also Lutherans have work to do just like with thinking about the media, uh, is that we will say, and we've said in a variety of documents over the years, the the manner of government is not prescribed in scripture, right? Mm. The manner of government, like you can have a monarchy, you can have a republic. It doesn't, God doesn't actually care. And you can find different forms of government, even in the old Testament Commonwealth, right? Um, But uh, what we have kind of defaulted to is what our historical experience has been. And uh, this is actually something that Benjamin Franklin complained about with the Lutherans in colonial Pennsylvania, And then it was a complaint about 19th century immigrants to, you know, the Midwest and stuff is they don't know how to live in a republic. Hmm. They're familiar with obeying authorities in an empire. They don't know how to participate in government. And I I do have to say that if you look at the demographic underweight nature of Lutheranism Mm -hmm. everywhere that it exists, that charge does seem just uh, Lutherans can totally predominate in an area and still the people in charge will not be Lutherans.
0: That's right. That's right. I, <laughs> I, I I mentioned this on Saturday's show and it really actually went public with it. And I'm looking to at least verbally start the language that we got to deal with here. But uh, what I'm hoping will happen someday, whether by this name or not, is it will have a, a Lutheran layman's local action network, whereby uh, Lutherans across the country can join together to know what's going on politically and have a direction that's more than a two-party system, but it is certainly connected to ideas uh, that are connected to our faith, like unto life, but increasingly like to what religion is actually being taught to your child at the public school, <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but to push back on the then, uh, the John Adams bit again, um, one of the things that I've found... Quirky, you know, and I didn't really have time to, to ponder it deeply until COVID, but I Ooh. noticed this back at Sam and kind of thought, well, there's a disconnect there, um, which is that all of our talk about how we should obey the government in a time of war that led to things like the quietism of the Germans in um, in Germany under the Nazis uh, or, or even Americans uh, at World War II um, – American Lutheran Germans uh, just not speaking up, uh, saying, well, the government knows, so we'll do what they say. All of that is based upon, like you said, kind of a, a view of monarchy in Romans 13, and Romans 13 certainly does say, obey the monarchy if you got one, but then I'm sitting here a born and raised not in a monarchy, monarchist. actually. (laughs) I am am a monarchist. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Ultimately, Jesus is king, and so I I can't not be in my mind. It must work in heaven, at least. So uh, here I am, though, but I'm a born and raised natural-born citizen of the United States who pledges allegiance to the flag of the Republic and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. which means that, according to the Constitution, I'm pretty sure my duty is to not obey the government very quickly. Uh, and, And I don't have a choice in the matter, But I kind of feel like I'm one of like 15 Americans that think that, which probably is (laughs) understating it a little bit. But the other seven are like stockpiling food and weapons, and I don't really want to go join the compound at the moment. So I find myself theologically in a tough place, and and Lutherans were just like, obey the government Romans 13. I'm like, but the government isn't Trump or the the judiciary, not in this country. And so if I'm a Christian, I I have to let that constitution be not God's word, but the fourth commandment.
1: You know, m- Right. More... It, is, it is the way that the fourth commandment functions, um, practically speaking, yeah. uh, in this country, in the same way that um, if I understand that my father is a certain kind of man, then um, saying something to him in a certain situation um, that would work for somebody else's dad is not going to work for mine. And part of my respecting and obeying and loving and cherishing my father would be understanding him and the way that he is. If we, and I, j- I just read uh, this morning uh, a piece from May 1941 um, by a Lutheran pastor in Brooklyn writing about uh, how we decide whether or not to go to war. And he, he has a lot of really interesting insights. Um, and uh, the, there's a whole media environment surrounding the, the First and the Second World Wars that's kind of lost now. What did people know? What were they given to know? Um, He complains about munitions makers wanting to go to war in order to make a profit. Hmm. Very interesting stuff. But one of the things that he says, I think one of his handicaps is he keeps going back to, well, okay. uh, And he's very clear that if you conscientiously object to a war, the church must support you because it doesn't tyrannize over your conscience Hmm. in matters that are doubtful. But then if he says, okay, uh, you don't totally object to this war, but you're a little bit in doubt about it, he reverts to quoting Luther and John Gerhardt talking about, well, sort of the prince knows best, and you're not going to be held accountable for not having all the information he does. And I get that. But in a republic, your default doesn't have to be, okay, therefore, I obey the prince. Right. Your default, as it was, for instance, in many cases in the revolution, Uh, In the War of 1812, in the Mexican War, when many people refused to pay taxes because they thought it was an unjust war, and also in the Civil War, when people both in the North and the South, in a variety of situations, refused to go, refused to be conscripted, right? I mean, conscription was much bigger in the South, but East Tennessee, for instance, refused to be conscripted. Uh, because it didn 't see it as in its own interest, your default in a republic does not have to be okay, well, the higher authority told me because you are the basic structure of the republic, you the people, mm-hmm. not the monarch and so i think it's in some ways it 's like okay well uh we we have a we have sort of like an algorithm for how to do this, but the algorithm was written uh you know in it basically in like a programming language that runs. Monarchy, <laughs> uh, and we don't right. really have a theological right. programming language to run to to run for. I live in a republic in which I'm ultimately responsible for government. But I think
0: we do, if we get if we, if we understand the design of creation and trust that those Ten Commandments are still supported as a good reality, which our sin not only can't can't really stop. But more so, I mean, it's going to come back and curb us back into righteousness, whether we like it or not, so far as the world is concerned. I've had—here's another kind of just crazy, weird thought. This is as voodoo mystical as I'll get. Um, so, like, I had to do a wedding. I had to. I, I did a wedding. I performed a wedding. I performed the rites of holy matrimony last fall. And um, our congregation had just left behind our large legacy building, which at this moment in time, everyone here says, thank. God, we let that albatross go. We would be in such terrible shape right now, and we're, we're fine, which is great. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of worse things, right? Uh, anyway, yeah, right. Um, but because of that, the, that, that building was not available, and so the wedding, you know, they wanted to have it be a little bigger than our, our small secondary facility could, could have, so we had it at this... Uh, ELCA church that rented a space to us downtown, a beautiful old Swiss, or Swedish church, which is absolutely mm-hmm. stellar architecture, European, uh, and a big facility, one of three giant ELCA, ELCA churches within about four and a half blocks, all downtown. Apparently, yep. each omission started after a schism at some point over the course of their history. It you know, <laughs> just kept moving further down south as they went. In any case, while I was there, someone saw me and recognized me and uh, pulled me back into another room in the building that I didn't know would be in use that night. And they were setting up in this room a big piece of art in the shape of a circle. And I learned it was a prayer circle that had been painted by a lady on the East Coast. Um, in order to celebrate God, and in, in in celebration of her dying daughter, even I think, or something like that too. Wow. And if you if you looked, I looked closely, and I saw very quickly that it combined the whole life of Jesus with you know the. Um, uh, it didn't have Krampus on there, but let's just say that just about every other false deity had its his story represented with the seasons of the year and all that stuff too. Like as pagan yeah. as you can get, this was a this was an Asheripole circle whatever thing, right? This was this was like old school. I'm like, that's evil. All right, cool. Hi, how you doing? I'm gonna leave the room as fast as I can. Okay, I got a wedding to go do, and then we went. We did the wedding, and they're married, and they're having a baby, and it's, it's all gonna be great. But then, shortly, I, I also learned that this circle was not just there it was on a tour this lady was taking across the entire country last Mm. fall bringing Mm -hmm. this prayer circle through all of these elca and other congregations for people to gather around it and marvel and shortly thereafter i started hearing about these uh library events with these men dressed as women dancing
1: yeah yeah, drag queen story
0: And, and then i i learned that was also a group of people traveling from east to west across the country stopping in towns to do that and I thought that's wickedly too connected and then I thought you know what of all the things that have stopped you know what else had to stop? Those little kids going to libraries to look at guys dressed like strippers. Right. God stopped it. Now I'm not going to say that's why he did it. God who knows you know but it happened. He put an end to that one and if that's why he did it I mean, that's the law. That's the design. I got off on that by just trying to emphasize we can't get away from the goodness of creation. It right. will push us back. Right. What we want to do as Lutherans now is ask, how do we be on the side of that in the present chaos?
1: Yeah? And the, right. And so, so the purpose of actually engaging the forms of power and uh, public redress that are, that are available to us in a republic the reason to do that is so that we can mitigate the c- cultural and civilizational disaster uh, that is already in progress here. Right? <sighs> we don't believe. That's, still. That's, do, do
0: we all? Do we all agree that it's a cultural unmitigated disaster? How, however, you just said that. I, mean, I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, at, at, at the at the institution at which you work, is yeah. it like on the board? You know, on, on the scrum board, we have deal with. A mitigated cultural civilizational collapse.
1: Is that there I, yet as a goal? No, I find, <laughs> I find that, um, this is, and I, and there are some ways in which generational thinking is divisive and unfortunate, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's also real. And that is that, um, you know, I mean, I remember talking about evangelism in a Bible class, um, with my congregational members and, you know, a gentleman in his seventies is like, what are you talking about? I don't know anybody that doesn't go to church, <laughs> you know? Uh, excluding like, you know, one's own grandchildren in, you know, in most cases, right. but, um, you know, it's like everyone that he knows in his retirement community goes to church. So there's, I think there's a massive lack of awareness of what is going on. And especially if the media that people consume so constantly, news, entertainment, et cetera, doesn't make you aware of it, you have no idea. So like, you wouldn't know how many people have died from opiates in. Illinois in the past year, but you're going to have a sense of like new COVID cases, right? Hmm. Um, you you wouldn't know how many divorces there were per capita and how that compared to 1970 and whether or not, you know, um, school shooters are disproportionately people that grow up without fathers uh, because that discussion, that media discussion is always about gun control, always, right? That's always the problem, uh, you know, so um, you have to, if if you don't if you don't recognize that or if you're believing what you're told all the time that isn't from the bible then of course you're not going to be aware of many things that are that are in fact actually going on which is why awareness is so generationally divided because people's lives i find are just it, it's like they live in different countries hmm. uh, even if they live in the same house how um so how do you begin to tug on the thread
0: of there's more going on behind the scenes and there's people with power and money doing evil things I don't know about to manipulate me to get my money. How do you go past that one without ending up at the local, you know, John Birch Anonymous, you know, get, leaving it <laughs> behind?
1: I can't. They, you know, I try to get out. They pulled me back in society. You know, how do you. Right. So I guess I guess I would say, like, the issue is not that you then yourself become a sort of propagator and get a certain number of like subscriptions on YouTube of your own like Lutheran flavored conspiracy theories. The issue would be wait that- for... Wait a minute, wait a minute. The issue would be that what you wanna do is say, okay, what is actually going on, for instance, in my rural community hmm. is that um, we have incredibly high rates of uh, t- of you know, illegitimate pregnancy and drug use that we didn't have 30 years ago. What are the sources of that? Can we do anything about it? How do we help the people we actually know, that's right? So cu- that's so huge. Rather, rather than yeah. spending my time consumed by anger at you know those crazy liberals or those crazy Trump voters right. or whatever right. it is that you have been told you're supposed to care about or supposed to be constantly aware of.
0: So it's not about spending a lot of time online making you know amazing connections between illicit organizations. It's about saying what policies were put into place in my neighborhood and in my town fifty years ago. What do they do? <laughs> How are they doing now? Should we get rid of them maybe if they're really bad, which some of them are? Um, should we right. protect them if they're trying to be gotten rid of if, if some of them are? And again, so that gets back to this you know, Lutherans in politics – bit, uh, the Lutheran Layman's Local Action Network, or whatever, believing that we need to be involved in our neighborhood. And if we want to talk about Romans 13 and and, uh, and submission to the government in this country, uh, it doesn't just mean doing my job, going to church, paying taxes, as the LCMS tends to teach it, um, but it also means running for office, honestly. Just kind of generally, if you have the opportunity and could do it, you should, because... Your neighbor needs you
1: to and we right. don't talk that way at all we we don't and it's also the case that if you want like let's say that you don't have a particular great interest in politics or you're a pastor and you're probably not going to run for local politics because it could all get kind of awkward in that case right Well,
0: or we're not allowed to even though other traditions i don't ask about that other traditions you're not just allowed to you better like right. if you want right. to deal with right. the neighborhood that we just left I mean, right. I don't know why you wouldn't run for like ward. I mean, of that right, area. Right, right, I mean, right. you you, you kind of need to. So I don't know. We have this again, this taboo here of this in the LCMs. And I'm like, ah, I at least want to question that assumption because where'd that assumption come from? That it would be a right. bad thing. Um, I can see where it would be. By all means, there's going to be bad times. But times where right, that right, would be right, bad, right. Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. So sorry to jump in on you.
1: Well, I guess what I, all I'm saying is that the 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 basic goal here is that you want. It, if you want more cohesion, uh, if you want a society that works better, if you want a synod that is less divided, you have to start on a local level, right? You have to love the brother whom you can see before you can (laughs) love, before you either claim to love God whom you cannot see or the brother that you only know through the internet that apparently agrees with you on everything on theology. You have to first love the brother that you can see and you have to see. Um, And that's also a place where, Um, you can actually carve out realms of freedom and goodness uh, much more quickly and more concretely, right? So uh, this is, this is, this is again, an aspect of American government that a lot of people have sort of forgotten. But, um, you know, the reason that sheriffs can refuse to enforce things, or the reason that, for instance, you know, counties in my, my home state of Pennsylvania, are currently resisting the governor's, um, you know, uh, way of running the lockdown hmm. is because under Anglo-American him. government, this is part of our heritage as you know, an, a British-descended country. We have different levels of government with different levels of authority, and local government can refuse to enforce things that higher levels of government. And we're taught like. Oh, this is the relationship between the states and Washington, but it's also the relationship between the sheriff and the governor. The county. Um, Yeah. And the mayor. County. Yep. So well, that's um, that gets me to the city state idea
0: um, that I had. And and I don't I don't who knows. I I have a funny feeling though, that in terms of in terms of war, this will not apply. Okay. So you you have warfare where like we're gonna drop bombs, right? You still – you got this globalism thing going on, and I don't think that's what I'm going to say next. I'm not talking about globalism. I'm not talking about U.S., but I am kind of talking about like Pennsylvania versus Illinois versus Jefferson County, Oregon, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean that's an extreme end, Jefferson County, Oregon. I'd say San Francisco City, pretty extreme end on the other side. You've had a guy being a dictator there for 10 years. Yeah? Right. And, and nobody seems to care that there's poop in the streets and all this kind of stuff so whatever okay the, the the point more again is that the like you said the British system of representative government trying to defend our neighbors for the sake of the love of our neighbors under God on behalf of our unity is going to transition increasingly, to those strong men in jurisdictions who exercise that power, and that includes those who resist those who overreach. So right. that you will have those who say, I'm going to take more power than I deserve, and they'll get it in a lot of regions, but you'll have other regions that do not, and this is going to be a lot more like medieval uh, feudalism or ancient yeah. Greek city-state yeah. living then it's going to be like, say, the global utopia, uh, paradise of globalism that we envisioned. So that small government won't even necessarily be government always, but it is cert- like a co- companies are going to fulfill this role in some ways. Google's trying to already um, to be a big player and maybe even get to the nation status at some point. Um, but I just see anthropology moving that way, away from thus the, the, the pure international battle to like these smaller levels, city-state mercantile um, systems of governance and economy. Sure. Sure. Um, now, maybe that's all really pie in the sky and sounds hoity-toity and doesn't mean anything. Um, but I, I, it just feels so unlike, we're, we're not going back to the 50s, that's for sure, right? I mean, that's not coming back.
1: No, no, no. And I guess what we're saying is that you want to be. You want to learn how to, and then you want to uh, exercise the rights that you have as an American mm-hmm. um, within the forms of government that we have for the good of your community. That is the godliest thing you can do for mm-hmm. the future. Yeah. And understand that uh, people who are less obsessed with just okay, do I have to? Can I do what I'm told? What what am I being told to do? Okay, let me make sure that I always do it. Um, they're already in the future, exercising things for the benefit of their community and/or often their power base, right? So think about why do um, so many very left-wing cities support? Um, why, why did they become? Why do we have this concept now of sanctuary city, which is an example of city-state resistance to federal power? Right? Are those think? open for immigration right now, or did those get closed down too? I, th- I have no idea. I'm pretty sure they got closed because down. right. So they're saying okay. There's, there's the argument from principle for sanctuary cities, mm. right? So I believe this, that, or the other thing about the nature of borders. But understand that the hard reality is they are importing um, a voter base, which will eventually be legalized or votes before being legalized, yep. um, that will further shore up their power. So but, yes, mm. there's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a drain on public services. There's, there's stress on the government. But it shores up the power base of the group that is currently in power. They are acting in their right. self interest. Right. Okay. Right? So, so,
0: but the, okay. I, I'm going to jump in because I know that, well, I think I agree with you entirely. You just crossed a line into Republican thought from Democratic thought. And it, anybody who heard you say it the way you said it um, will be able to say, importing the voter base, conspiracy theory, done. And, and, and I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. In the conversations I have in the middle, which I try to always have them in the middle, and actually, yeah. I'm pretty confident. I'm right, but I'm pretty confident I'm middle right and not alt-right. Although, who knows? Um, you know, When they label you, they label you, right? You're on. Right. Yeah, uh, so you know, own yeah. it then, and then make it worth the time and the sunshine so you get followers out <laughs> of the thing, right? Uh, but but um, to st- if I had a conversation with my father, who's a yeah. reasonable man... From a different generation. The idea that any political party could be actively deceiving the present public to import citizens is beyond feasible. Like Marvel Universe Timeline, more reality there than your suggestion. And so while I'd love to go past it and see what that means for us, I just don't think we can. I think we have to establish that, um, that we should believe that both parties are probably doing lots of things we don't know about that we would not like to make money and stay in power, just like everyone else in history who's in power and has money and isn't necessarily bound by conscience. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: (laughs) I honestly I mean, I think that generally and this is this doesn't have to do with like, how do I feel about Medicare for all or something? But I think generally Democrats, the reason I use that example is because I think they're generally just better at it. They are. They're very good at it. (laughs) Republicans, Republicans are terrible at it. Republicans will gerrymander districts when they have control over the state legislature, but they're generally pretty bad at shoring up their power base and making sure that it doesn't change, right? So like you see states change from Republican to Democrat, like Colorado was solidly Republican 20 years ago, and now it's pretty predictably Democrat in national elections. Uh, Democrats are generally just better at it. So what I'm saying is what they're paying attention to are realities, right? People want to come to America for economic reasons, all kinds of reasons, They're using that well to the advantage of their political power base. I wish that Christians who don't necessarily have interests that always align with Democrats or with Republicans would, in thinking about exercising their civic rights as citizens, would think consistently that well on the local level (laughs) about what is good for both the church and for the community. And it's bad for both the church and the community for there to be almost nobody getting married. For there to be the town empty, you know, especially rural towns emptying out and, you know, haunted by opiate usage. These are the things right in front of your eyes. And I'm saying like the mayor of Los Angeles is paying attention when he's, you know, handling his relationship to the Mexican government or whatever. He's thinking smartly about what's right in front of his eyes. Right. Uh, Not about what he's told to think about it. Right. Um, So I'm actually applauding him, even if I don't necessarily agree with this you know, policy on immigration law or something.
0: Hey, an evil genius has come up with a pretty good plan, probably, right? And maybe you could reapply the plan for good, Uh, which made me think of something else I won't bring up with someone who's a professor at the seminary, which requires—because you you want people to go to seminary, not (laughs) study somewhere else. Um, (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Still, though— Okay, so so to believe that the political machines that exist in this country really are as good at what they do as Google is as what it does or or Big Pharma is as what it does. Mm-hmm. To believe that should put all of us in a much more skeptical mindset when it comes to news and information from any source – honestly that I don't know face to face I mean I'm even talking like newspapers and books like I mean yeah. a book from 1874 probably you know has a bad footnote in it but you know you know if it's still around and being recommended you you can rely on it something from the last four years you know you know can, can you really just just take that to the bank I don't think so yeah. Yeah. so you got to be skeptical but that's again I, is that the generation gap are the boomers? not skeptical gen x is like natively skeptical because we're all cynics for some reason i know why we got lied to but hey that's a different topic um
1: i'm not he man Um, (laughs) i I guess i mean with the generational stuff i I guess i would say that you have you have non-media factors like uh divorce rates church attendance um doors unlocked um you know a, a, a general sense that if i stop and ask somebody something in a store or in a public building they'll they'll we'll be able to communicate with you with each other and and the interaction will be understandable and coherent and profitable. Um, whereas I, I don't assume any of that in public with anyone um, that we're going to be able to communicate well. And it's going to make sense. I mean, I mean, moving from the you East
0: Coast. Communicate well? I understand. I'm saying everything as consistently and consistently as I can.
1: You know, and, and I think, I think that partly has to do with, um, the media factors. I mean, I think I think that's a that's a big part of the generational difference. Is um, boomers grow up in a relatively uh, small media environment as to the sources? Yeah, they have a lot of stuff in common. They can watch the same shows at the same times, and their shows, so they don't have massive media fragmentation. Whereas, if I meet somebody my own age, I mean, honestly, like you know, he could be like some kind of like crazy alt right guy. He could also be like, like a like he could, he could be an anarcho-communist, which is not something that anyone was before smartphones. Like unironically, outside of like you know certain bookstores in very large cities, like there were no anarcho-communists. So um, because of media fragmentation, I don't know who anyone is right. until I talk to him, and so I assume nothing. Whereas I, least of all, that I'm not being lied to. Whereas. I think boomers could, or at least were taught to by their media environment, to trust the relatively small number of sources that everyone had in common. I also think, and this is totally anecdotal uh, from parents and people of their generation, that basically like life was more functional and more pleasant in many ways on a day-to-day basis. I imagine it was. It was not so rushed. It was more coherent. Um, almost everybody's uh, parents lived with them at home, both the parents, it was just kind of a different time. And so uh, obviously that's going to create very different people.
0: Uh, have, has the Church of Jesus Christ and the Grarianism come and visited your house
1: recently? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, uh, are, are we... Do you want to talk about Mormons? Uh, I mean, I no. I I want to talk about
0: agrarianism. I want to talk about. about I want to to talk about intentional cult starting so that we can survive. Like, like, how do we decide that we're going to be a cult? Not, not like as in we're going to have. Not like in a bad way, you know. (laughs) Right. Not as in like emotional manipulation, and not as in like uh, um, non-trinitarian. Just as in like we are a culture that is a subculture. That is focused on ritualistic worship of a god that nobody else has. Okay, like we well, should I mean, be that.
1: I, I think uh, the re- I th- I thought you were alluding to Mormons with the title, and I, and I I think Mormons are a very interesting example of people that didn't trust a mainstream narrative, and they did succeed in building something. Yeah. Obviously, they're they're wrong about the nature of God, but they they intentionally built something else. Okay, yeah, bigger. Than we did. I I say we all we, confessional Lutherans already are a subculture Mm. and the way to see this is that everyone under a certain age who actually shows up is i generally find extremely motivated
0: yeah right right. (laughs) in a
1: way that their parents or their grandparents didn't have to be and maybe aren't because the fact that they're showing up indicates that they already understand that they're weird and they're embracing that they want to be weird they accept being weird i mean I, I have constantly debated, I've never written into the, the, uh, the column at the back of my alumni magazine from my undergrad institution to say what's going on with my life. Everyone else is working for NPR, is in the State Department, um, is an academic here, there, and everywhere they have <laughs> maybe one child. We're all in our early 30s. They have one child, probably not. Uh, one of them is now a professional Transsexual—that is—he advises tech companies on how to be more friendly to transsexuals. These are the people that I went to college with, and I—I ju- I, I think I am going to write, but I'm not going to put my children's names in there. Uh, uh, I have six children, and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, just—I mean, I had because I know that's extremely weird. It's very weird. So I think we already are a subculture. Uh, We may not organizationally recognize that. We do not think we are. And we have been in an intentional
0: dismantling of every last vestige of it for about 40 years. So I'm going to contest that while there may still be a few who are picking up the portals of prayer, the day of its usefulness is fastly waning.
1: (laughs) I mean, I uh, I don't disagree with that. I think that the subculture aspects— are, I think, already ideologically there. I do not know that they're there on a media level. People don't see being LCMS the way
0: they see being Catholic. And people don't look at LCMS from the outside and see it the way they would see a Roman Catholic. We don't envision ourselves with that kind of shared identity. And I, I think again, we used to. Uh, I think that I know people who were students of my dad at Concordia Portland, and and the way my father kind of sees things, there was this shared spirit, honestly, uh, amongst the LCMS. But it's just not there now, and and we do have these little factions that are kind of vying for some share of whatever the identity is going to be, but. To think that we all agree that we should be something together to survive—that th- th- is a phrase you cannot apply to my church body. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't. Look.
1: So, uh, unfortunately, for the for the viewers, this is like the dark side of something that we talked about last week, which was that we need to be cohesive mm. because if we're not cohesive, we can't expect anyone to help us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And that the things that we had the luxury of fighting about, uh, kind of like constantly and being very bitter with one another about, um, it, it's not necessarily that they're non-issues or that they're unreal, but that relative to surviving, being able to have church services, um, being able to preach the gospel freely, being able to homeschool your kids or send them to parochial school, relative to those things that we all agree we need to preserve, um, these other things might not be as important as they were in the '90s.
0: Sorry, I get distracted by a, a small child. Oh, there's there goes more. All these bikes running across our lawn of sunflowers that we have in the front yard. This big hills. You have to sunflowers. go out
1: and yell at them around uh, your lawn.
0: It was pretty good. It was it was my own kids, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. Massive media fragmentation. The gatekeepers. Um, I know. I think you and I have talked about. I I'm gonna lose his last name now, Eric Weinstein, uh, before in, in his podcast. I haven't listened much uh to it recently, I the first couple episodes. Uh yeah. but you know, his his shtick seems to be that there's a big smokescreen in academia about what academia knows, and that the gatekeepers of these industries are a bit terrified because I think they see that their their pyramid scheme is collapsing, and uh, distance education is going to really put the nail in that coffin. Right. Uh, yeah. But a- as they're watching this happen, you know, they still are. Re- there's a dogmaticism that he's very angry about in the schools. He wants to, you know, have a voice in. Honestly, as an economist, yeah. I think I think yeah. it's his his stick, yeah. and I get it. I just and I don't disagree with him. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't think that it's so different. Uh, in all these other industries, and that uh, churches, if we conceive of them as sort of like universities, they're like, they're like s- scattered school systems for Sunday morning, um, that the gatekeeping approach to theology that we've had, um, uh, probably for good reason out of Reformation issues, uh, it just hasn't served us well in the present. And, and in the meantime, again, the, the media gatekeepers have established like a new form of what's trustworthy and what's not what's true and what's not so you don't only have academia vying for uh, the defining nature of reality anymore in fact no one it was we're all arguing with academia if we're arguing at all and no one's listening to academia uh where instead you have this this monster mash of of information what again massive media fragmentation as the new gatekeeper White noise no, as the no. gatekeeper, you don't think so, I think so. The white noise is the gatekeeper, and you got to get through it and and only the rich who can afford to pay their way through it end up having the real messages. See what I'm saying
1: okay, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I would say that um, in many ways uh, and I want to talk about I want to talk about academia and then I want to talk about the church, and I think they're related, but I, I do think they're different because of money and the way that money flows in those two different spheres um but I think very obviously academia and the way that church functions, including the way that seminaries function was built for a very different media environment um, in which information was really, I mean, just information, not knowledge and not wisdom, but information was really only available through certain means. And you had to go to a certain place to get Mm -hmm. the information. Mm -hmm. Whereas my students at the seminary could have the, some of the information that I give them, Uh, if they just looked certain things up and they often have it if they have looked it up, right? Where So you'll get a guy that has like a hobby horse about uh, textual criticism or how do we talk about objective justification or whatever. And it's always because he came to that specific issue and he's looked that up on the internet and he spent hours and hours and hours on that specific thing, right? So information isn't the issue. I mean, I think formation is still an issue and I don't see how human beings can be formed in as human beings except in person, but in from it, just information transfer is not necessary in the same way that it was in like, no, you just got
0: me thinking like, I'm not going to make a case against proximate learning with a master. I think there's something for that. Yeah. Even though yeah. modern education is really against that idea in general, I think um, apprenticeship with a master learner or whatever, whatever you want to learn someone who knows how to do it already. Um, mm-hmm. That's a mm-hmm. valuable thing. Yeah. But, how much of our belief that we need universities or centralized locations where all the masters are together yeah. is a result of libraries and needing libraries and the cost of books and putting them all in one place and having the ability to provide that resource. Yeah. And now with that going away, again, what purpose the university? Um, now there, the argument could be made, the conversation with the master, right? But yeah. I'm not sure that's what tenured track professorships about
1: (laughs) no no it's no it's no it's not and and Uh, universities and and i think that this is this is also something where um this is probably a discussion for a whole different day just because it's so complex and it involves a lot of my my personal obsession with american lutheran history is you poor guy right you poor guy (laughs) it's so it's so frustrating and weird (laughs) understanding what's actually going on where i live you know um, I
0: mean, it, it, I got interrupted. The more, the more that I learn about Lutheran history, the more Luther's phrase "crazy Germans" just kind of rings a bell. I don't. It's not about being German, but he yeah. something about Lutherans and like, yeah,
1: like what? Yeah. I mean, so please continue. <laughs> I'm biased because I married a Norwegian, but the Norwegians always come out looking more reasonable and nicer.
0: I, I um, realized that this week, in fact, maybe even <laughs> yesterday, while pondering upon my 42nd birthday, my Norse heritage, and how even though Baumgarten is a last name I got, Fisk is the last name I really got, and uh, okay. that'd be Norse right there. Just so, I'm, yeah. Congratulations! Just, just for madness, reasonable sake, you had a point. I interrupted maybe three yeah, times. So now.
1: the so the point is that when you're when you're thinking about why institutions exist. The institution, if it doesn't understand what its ultimate purpose is, will always end up de- defending itself rather mm-hmm. than the pre-existent purpose. Right. So like Harvard, founded to train congregational clergymen, not doing that anymore. Basically, just a hedge fund with some educational stuff attached to it. It is enormously wealthy, uh, you know, <laughs> Um you know, and it's got a lot of stuff going on. It's not training congregational clergymen, but miraculously it still exists. So understand that institutions have their own life apart from the purposes for which they were originally instituted. Um that's just the nature of the beast. It's how human institutions work. So they have to be held accountable to their original purpose and they also have to be flexible. Okay. Um this is not the case in academia as an as a set of institutions because student loans have propped up its massive expansion since mm-hmm. the second world war mm-hmm. this starts with a gi bill and then expands into the entire american civilian population without those things not only a lot of branch campuses would go away but the size and the nature of even ivy league institutions would change drastically uh, just by necessity And so that exists within a certain finance ecology, not just a media ecology, but a finance ecology, which is dependent on how American prosperity has worked since the second world war. First, based on the fact that we're the only people who had anything left (laughs) after the second world war, and then the linking of the U S dollar to the price of oil and the necessity of oil to run the world economy since the seventies. So all of those things are something that as a Christian, you actually need to know about because it's why these things that exist are the way they are and have the power that they do. That's a little bit different from church, even though I think church has the same media issue, which is it needs to understand where people are coming from and the massive fragmentation that they're undergoing. So please stop making mash references in sermons because I don't understand them and I don't want to. I don't care, okay? I didn't watch that part of TV. That's fine.
0: Whenever I make an illustration-
1: did I just slam like twenty percent of the No,
0: each all, They're all mash. Whenever I make an <laughs> illustration, I ensure that it takes at least seven minutes to make more or less a pun by the time you get <laughs> to the end of it. That but you. the pun will be the yes. topical word I chose to apply goal malady means for the sermon too. Very
1: nice. So very nice. Yeah. Very traditional. Yeah. Very traditional. And
0: for all those who didn't catch that incredibly theo geek screaming nerd inside baseball <laughs> joke, I only complete losers who've read as much as Adam and I have can possibly in dusty corners can possibly find that funny, but it was, it was very funny. Yeah, that was great. (laughs)
1: Um, the church has a little bit of a different issue because financially we are dependent on donations, but also on tax exemption. When you, when you talk about, I I agree with, I I think that's
0: important too. Money is definitely. Yeah. part of information, formation, life together, church, locality, all that. Um, But you you talked about how institutions change what they have their purpose being over time, either away from what their original purpose was or even just to being survival itself, you know, gobble up whatever can be, Um, like most humans, ultimately, at a certain point. Um, Excuse me. So if that is the case, does that mean that the institution that is the Church, the, the, the words of institution at the heart of the Church of Jesus Christ, should we just always expect that there will be a, an attempt to remove that every generation or so? And, and that our, our task in battle is not alone to retain gathering for, you know, scripture to be read, absolution to be pronounced, and the eating of bread and wine to happen. Um, but that that sort of is it. And that all the understanding and, and, and even like the – like Lutherans have placed such a high value on a black belt level degree – of theological training for right. pastoral ministry, which is a, right. a godsend. You want black belts. You want you know super voodoo monks doing their kia, whatever's right. right. Um, uh, you know when they're when they're out there battling the evil darkness of the age. But uh, somehow though that that's been lost. Right. That, that the move to take that battle out, and instead we have a bunch of what Shaolin monks training in a temple by themselves, talking scholastic arguments. Ah, I'm off on a, on a tangent a bit. Yeah. But it's about getting away from the institution. Should we do all institutions ultimately fail to be what they're instituted for, or is the words of institution different? That's that's the question.
1: Okay, I mean, there's a so there's a difference here, and this is a difference that Lutheran theology should be particularly flexible in, which is we've always recognized that there's a difference between the office of the public and public ministry and the different ways that that could be shaped in a given environment. So in a certain environment, maybe you have bishops. In another environment, you have congregations. In another environment, and technically, no matter what anyone says, the Missouri Synod doesn't have congregational polity. It has what Walther called synodical polity, which is why everything is complex. And we
0: practice close communion, too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well,
1: that's a joke. We're just going to ignore that for right now. Hey, it's the um, same,
0: same difference, man, in my mind. It's yeah, like, it you know, you're just no, making close, up words. Let's just make up words close. to sound different.
1: Close and close are the same thing. Uh, don't let anybody tell you any differently. I have the documents to prove it. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you can read about it. Um, right. You can just go back and read. Um, but but the issue here is that uh, the reason that you want to know your own institutional history, whether it's synod or a seminary or your congregation or whatever, the reason to know any of this stuff is not to accumulate just idle knowledge. Like, okay, I know exactly what happened on this day in 1954. It's to understand how things have changed and why they changed and how they could change, therefore, in the future. Right. The more you know about the past, the more in in my experience, the future opens up because I become really open to new ideas because I understand how much has changed in the past for the sake of the gospel. So understand that, like when the Missouri Senate is started, not everyone is trained in the same institutions. They come together in order to preserve something that they've all, by various means, come to agree is the truth, the gospel in all its articles, right? And they come to that through a very 19th century media ecology, which is old books that are being reprinted, especially editions of Luther for the founding generation of Synod, and newspapers. And that might seem silly, but that's how it was. That was their media ecology. And through it, they came together and agreed. They started institutions. Those institutions were generally, honestly, very responsive. So if a guy, like if there were urgent calls over and over again for, we need a guy to ride around the congregations in Montana, like five congregations. Okay. uh, He's only been at the seminary for two years. uh, Let's speed him through, like, let's give him three more months. And then he's going to be called and sent and ordained. Dropkick him. Right. What happens over time is that our institutions go mainstream. Yes. For a variety of reasons, which, at, which maybe at the time were understandable and necessary and everything. And maybe they still are for a variety of reasons. I'm not in charge of absolutely everything. I'm not going to dictate to everybody what we should do. But oh, It's
0: complex, and there's always more than one mind involved. And if you want to blame someone,
1: blame the devil. But, continue. but it has to be. it has to be responsive to the mission of Christ, which means the extension of the Word of God and the preservation of the Word of God wherever it still exists. That's not optional for the church, right? So you can see the church in Acts moving and shifting and being like, okay, we need deacons because the pastors are spending way too much time doing administration. And they're, they're, you know, but the church can change different ways that it operates in different places, but the gospel has to be continuing to be preached and more and more preached everywhere. We know that has to happen. Everything else can be sacrificed to that ultimately.
0: In theory, that's what we've been arguing about for the last 40 years in, in our church body, uh, and, and both sides would claim a we're the one with with the gospel, or all three sides, I suppose. Um, and I don't want to... D- I'm, I'm so done with those skeletons in a lot of ways, um, but I, I, I still then struggle with... like you, you in that last, maybe, two sentences resulted to using the word gospel, which mm-hmm. I know what you meant, but my neighbor would not. And what I want to keep pushing on here is like, why is the most common way to talk about what the gospel is so that we would know what it is, not what we do? Uh, Does that make sense? Like, why do we use a term that's a foreign term as our primary way for talking about what we believe, as opposed to the thing itself? I wouldn't say, please pass me the sucrose— I would say pass me the sugar, even though certainly the sucrose is there yeah. on the table, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 and and yeah. so if I tell my neighbor, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the reference points he has for that, I mean, the best one he's, he's got is the Mormons, probably, you know? I mean, he, he doesn't have a lot to go on. Yeah. So why, why is it not that we are we are unwilling, and this is why I think, I think we'll rally the more we get the right terminology— we're not going to let somebody take away the resurrection of Jesus from us, and we're not going to let someone take away the fact that in the resurrection, he said, while you're waiting for me to come back, eat this bread and wine. And whatever else you want to say about my Bible, my religion, my history, my rights as a layman, as a uh, ordained clergyman, as a citizen of the country, mm-hmm. I'm willing to die for that. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to die for that. And I want to be able to say that in a way that sounds weird and holy, but not violent, and yet also is not uh pacifistic quietistic afraid to stand and afraid honestly to defend my town if that's what it finally comes to uh i don't know again did i ramble or did that actually have like the the formation of a thesis in it
1: <laughs> uh you have I think to deal with makes... that all the time don't you i, I do <laughs> <laughs> i think it makes sense if you are in a situation in which you can see that that could potentially go away I think we will continue arguing with each other fruitlessly and continue shrinking if we continue to ignore the fact that it could go away. Yes, right. yes. So this is not an issue just about um, the size of institutions or the size of budgets or the number of students at a seminary. Those are all indicators of other things. But the great danger is that the gospel could go away. That's the danger. And that's also a way to motivate ourselves as we think about not only... Uh, how to preserve what we do have, but also how to communicate what we have Mm -hmm. to your neighbor that doesn't know the gospel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that you don't have to feel bound in, in communication to saying what is most easily understood by your in-group right away. And there are reasons to know the language that your in-group knows.
0: Yes. My in-group doesn't even know its own language or what they do (laughs) tends to be more a reflection of like um, the, the, the new model of education is teaching toward the test, right? So, okay, so uh, the answer is yeah. either Jesus or mm-hmm. forgiveness, mm-hmm. Right. or baptism, right? And like, and like, okay. you know, the, the proud ones are like, "Well, it's Jesus and baptism," you know. And and they, but we're still in this uh, multiple choice questionnaire version of spirituality, which I, I'll push back on this other thing you said earlier: information versus okay. formation. I think this has a lot to do with how that information is formed in us. Yeah. And we treat it. It is a multiple choice test. That's exactly what we do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. I mean, uh, that's that's what a lot of people are doing in confirmation. Um, Okay, so. And this is how else would you form somebody
0: then put them in a classroom, sit them down and do PowerPoint or something? (laughs)
1: Uh, I mean, I despise PowerPoint. Yeah, me too. That's that's a generational thing. Um,
0: uh, I like having a Bible on a whiteboard that I can write on the text of the Bible and
1: like yeah, translate stuff but you're right powerpoint from the devil agreed i i like talking to humans you know that's good uh, too it's good
0: <laughs> i more dance in front of a glowing bible It's kind of what i do and then i write on there you it go. yeah
1: very nice um the you you're talking you're hitting on something that i think goes and i i i have some trepidation because i'm neither i'm neither ethnically nor by by being raised i'm not really I'm not really the in-group in the Missouri Synod. So as much as I know, I don't want to dictate to people how they're supposed to kind of instinctively react to situations. But there is, I observe it as a psychological thing over and over and over again in the most theologically diverse parts of the Missouri Synod. That there is always, the the most instinctive reaction people have in an uncertain situation is to like white knuckle the wheel of the car not to think about what's going to happen or what's in front of them on the road but just to kind of grip the steering wheel as hard as they possibly can. There is a great fear of anything being uncertain or out of their control. And that might be good for certain ways of preserving community, maybe I don't know. I again, I I don't want I I and I'm not I'm not trying to be chicken about this. I just don't want to be judgmental. I I understand that that is not at all personally my psychology. I don't go through life that way.
0: Yeah, but we all do in the Missouri Senate. It's in us. And and I think my time in North Dakota is the biggest hint I've gotten to what you just talked about. And I got to give this one to Matt Richard for the one who pointed out, and he pointed out a couple articles, in fact, that were written by North Dakotans about rural North Dakota and how hard it is to move there and live there. Uh, when you're in the middle of a very deadly climate that's lasting for six months long, Mm-hmm. Sometimes the way you deal with conflict resolution, sometimes the way you deal with, uh, you know, things not going the way you think they should to survive is to buckle down and believe that some pious prayer will make it so that we survive. And somehow, um, uh, you know, that and then not killing each other in the town covered in snow turned into kind of a passive-aggressive, joyful, angry, fearful... LCMS piety, you know that that uh, that we bounce around, and I think I think Matt was right. Whether I got that right or not, the idea of small, isolated northern climate social dynamics is probably a lot of what we just are still doing as we argue about worship style. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I just imagine that. I mean, even if worship style is still an important issue, but the the dynamic around the argument is like small Northern European survival and winter dynamics. Uh, I'm convinced of it. Uh, so yeah, put that in your, in your hopper for a couple of years, Adam. See if you can write a thesis on it. Bet, I bet you there's something to it. I mean, that's someone else's diagnosis too. He comes from outside, okay. uh, out,
1: outside our group. Uh, so okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think that basically if you, if you are not adaptable in America, um, you you cannot survive. America is a kind of test in social Darwinism. Um, and if you can't adapt the way that you function in order to survive, you will go away, which is the fate of many, many, many churches over the years. Um, they could still exist, but they have tiny numbers. That would be, for instance, the Episcopal Church, which was at one time the established church in the vast majority of the colonies. Okay, They were in charge. And uh, or it could just be something synods, Lutheran synods, you've never heard of because they're gone now. And uh, the reason that that occurs is because a situation which is constantly changing due to the dynamism, not always the greatness, but the dynamism of the American economy, um, the freedom of movement that people have within this enormous landmass. Things change constantly. If you can't change with them, you will go away. And I'm not really saying that as like that's good or that's bad. That just is. Now, as someone who grew up among the Amish. <laughs> okay, well, where I'm from, just to be clear, we don't have the Amish because it's Appalachia and they can't farm big enough tracts of land. But I do know the, I am from Pennsylvania, but go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, so the Amish uh, would claim to be the antithesis to your statement that they don't change, um, that they're still continuing to be a subculture that has not been uh um, removed, even though it has not adopted to the, the constant waves of American No, not at all. No, bucks. no.
1: But th- that is probably the biggest misconception about the Amish is that they are constantly changing. That is that they, you can, and you can find photos of, you know, Amish people driving cars in the 1920s. They at some point decided collectively to reject that. Yeah, right. So the, the Amish are actually a study in collective decision-making, not a study in never-changing. They've obviously, there's lots of things about their way of life that haven't changed, but they do that consciously.
0: I'm kind of convinced. So what do you think of this? Okay, so because I've been, I've been batting this one around too, not with this terminology, but I remember reading about the Amish and consensus, and the consensus as a way of governance seems to me to be kind of what that that means then, right? So like, okay, so we all agree, yeah, you want to buy a car, Bob? Go buy a car. And then three years later, well, Bob, we all decided, like, your car is going to ruin us. So you leave? Right. Or get rid of the car and, right. uh, and everyone else agrees. Right. But, but that they wait, they don't vote. They just keep no. talking until no. they agree. And so if you want to have something new, it takes forever. Right.
1: Because you got to keep got everybody right. on board with it. There's right. some real wisdom to that really is. Yeah. Well, because the, the good of the group is bigger. I mean, and this is as simple as like, you know, um, in as a parish pastor, I do what is in the hymnal, not because the hymnal fell from heaven, but just because that makes it easy for the next guy to do what's in the hymnal. Yeah, Um, Because I'm not, I I, I don't live just with regard to the personal decisions that I make. And I think the Amish, the Amish have preserved that way of decision-making. That is one of the distinctive things about them, not a total opposition to anything that's new, but a total opposition to anything that would destroy the group's existence. Which the the LCMS
0: has the opposite fetish. We are <laughs> we are engaged with everything that could destroy our existence and, and, and we don't worry about so much consensus. Nonsense like that. So, um, I, I got a, a super chat here that just came in. I don't know if you know what that is, uh, but I'm a, yeah, you know, Andy yeah. says, uh, thanks for I the am thought provoking. I do know what
1: that is.
0: <laughs> thanks for the thought provoking discussion. And he had another question he asked earlier, so I'm going to throw it out here. He yeah. asks, uh, what about the scientific barrier? Scientism does seem to raise the bar for entrance to truth, in quotes. Communication is hurt because we just defer truth and action question mark to experts. So, any thoughts on,
1: on that? I'll read it again if you need me to. Okay. I think that, um, I think the word scientism is a helpful one in this discussion, and that is science treated as a kind of ideology, not a method of finding out certain things about the natural world, which is in and of itself unobjectionable if I want to know why is the sky blue or uh, how does photosynthesis work, Uh, but it is objectionable as a way of scientists becoming sort of like, they function the way that priests might have in the Middle Ages, which is, they are ultimate arbiters of truth, right? So uh, if Gavin Newsom wants to appeal over the head of the constitution of California, he says, we're going to go with science and with data, right? The The function of those terms is not because Gavin Newsom actually has like a doctorate in virology. It's because science functions the way the Bible did in the middle ages or the Pope, let's say, yeah. or the Bible, right? Is just, this is, this is so obviously true. Uh, I'm going to appeal to this authority. So that's where science functions. And this is the way it works for a lot of people that follow, you know, uh, meme pages, sort of atheist meme pages on Facebook. Or this is the way that science functions a lot of times on Reddit is that science is just science works for them. It's not like they understand it, but it's sort of like saying, like, I swear on the Bible worked in the where, where I grew up. It doesn't mean that the person saying that actually knows what's in the Bible. It means that they're that you know the or Bible is it, true. Right? The Bible is true. They they might not know what's in there or understand you know what it means, but it's true, right? That's the way that science often works. I, I think it's possible. more
0: than that. I think it's, they don't even necessarily believe it. People who did not believe the Bible is true and knew what was in it have sworn on the Bible that you know to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right. Yeah, and I'm right, pretty right. sure there are scientists who are willing, willingly able to hold together inconsistencies in their head and jump between answers in yeah. order to get the solution they want. And a great example of that is every argument against the resurrection, where they will not oh, stay yeah. with one of the three totally. potential all wrong answers, but will dance between them and never settle out of an unwillingness to handle the facts. And right. then all, the, all in the name of science, right? The whole time the is going on, all in the name of reason uh, and whatnot. So yeah, um, communication, being hurt, babble. Adam, I am con- increasingly... I've said increasingly too often. they are increasingly
1: saying increasingly. There, I am.
0: There are, there, are, there are theological paths that have been floating around in my head for a long time that in the last couple of months, go figure, with a catalyst like this, uh, ha- have been really um, uh, digging down into my head. And uh, one of them is Babylon as uh, archetype for Fall right and obviously exodus and exile you got that thing going on so egypt and slavery does that too and and, and even uh, rome at a certain point becomes this for john so you you got all of that that's really obvious well maybe it's not really obvious cuz you know all the dispensationalists don't get most of it but um ah dispensationalists i wanted to like talk about it and i totally i, t- I lost the direction but i have it and i'll get it back okay. um when i say babylon's the archetype for the whole yeah. bible and for the fall i'm thinking babel The the, the civilization that was there as Babel to begin with, where the word came from, and how all the words that we have in the Bible, the one that's, like, from ancient times, Hebrew, maybe before, that's still the word we use to describe miscommunication. Right. (laughs) I think there's the theological import behind all of that, and that what we're finding now with the white noise mass communication is just Babel on a whole other level, really destroying language. I take comfort in the promise of Pentecost that it can't do it without the word doing what it's going to do too. But what do you think about that? Babel is yeah. a
1: framework for, for all knowing God. There's, there's a lot behind that because it gets to the connection between media and power, mm-hmm. which is that if you are able to communicate with people and you know, this is somebody who preaches. I know this is somebody who also preaches is that when people are listening to you, you have immense power over them. This is why, I, I understand why people like want to get into trades and, and, and you know, sort of like disdain the humanities, but the fact is that humanities majors are the people who run the world. <laughs> it's not the people who just operate the machines uh or get paid a lot as engineers. It's people who can communicate who always run the world for better and generally very much for worse. Because the capacity to communicate well, clearly, beautifully, powerfully emotionally is immense power. Yeah. And it is the confusion of tongues, which is, I think, in Genesis 11, a gift to the world, hmm. lest someone should be able to take over yes. and enslave all. Yes. Tyranny, tyranny works through communication in the same way that the gospel works through communication. One of the big differences between Pentecost and Babel, Pentecost does not actually reverse Babel in the sense that the difference between human languages is not itself a curse, necessarily, It is a frustration of power in Genesis. It's not a curse. Uh, In Revelation, you have different, not only tribes, human diversity is fine. Also tongues, right? Yeah. And so that's okay. You know, that's fine. Hmm. Um, It is the fact that the people who are communicating in, uh, you know, the, the trial runs in the gospels, Jesus himself, and then in the book of Acts, are communicating without the desire to maintain power over people. I do not need anything from you when I proclaim the gospel to you. The gospel not only is won freely in Romans, it's also given freely. Uh, the fact that pastors are paid, and I, I had a really great elder at my congregation who said, you know, um, this guy's job, the reason we pay the pastor is because he would be saying this stuff anyway. Uh, we're paying him so that he can spend all of his time saying this stuff. I Amen. thought that, that really, great guy. You know, he understood what's at the heart of giving. Um, and that I would do this for nothing. Right. And right. that's when you can't stop somebody when they would do it for nothing.
0: <laughs> right. 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 It's always it cause it's who they are. Right. And that's when right. you can't kill them to get it to go right. away either. Right. You cannot exactly. make it go away. Um, and you want your pastors to be that, uh, which, um, instead of chasing that tact, yeah, um, sure. communication as an act of power in the history of like human relationships Sounds like a, uh, a gender studies class, um, but it, it, I think it is interesting that like the, the, the dominant word for the gospel that we were taught right away in our Greek class, and it, it uh-huh. is a, a major word in the New Testament, although we don't use it in our jargon much at all, is this idea of loosing or unleashing, uh-huh. uh, luo. I mean, you learn it as a first Greek word because it's so... Darn simple, right? Three levels, right, right, right. Um, yeah. but to unleash. So the gospel is a communication, not to submit one, but to right. set free one. Whereas yeah. all other religion, right, uh, is is there to, in fact, submit you. And some of them even have that as their name, Islam, right. and what you
1: know. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. At least they're upfront about it. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. And and uh, you know, this is a this is a distinction between not just all other religions, but if you want to think of Christianity or the gospel as an ideology, a set of beliefs that drive people, uh, this is also the difference between every other ideology, right? So if, you know, it doesn't announce itself as a religion, but let's say, you know, I get the idea from whatever social media platform I'm on, that um, if I become a woman, then not only will people like me better, but it'll also resolve several of the problems that I have in my life. So I pursue that. I spend money on that. I do lots of things with that. Um, That is still binding me. It's going to bind me to slavery, to sin and to death. Um, Christianity will not do that to me. It will free me and it will open me up. And I, I, I mean, we talked about this last time we talked. Um, We have to talk about Christianity as an opening up and as an enlightening because it is the only freedom and the only light that is actually available in the world. Um, And we have been successfully um, denigrated as people that lock you down, enslave you, want to oppress you, want to destroy your life. Um, This is in fact the opposite of the truth. And I think that if we are unable to explain what we're saying as an alternative to the various forms of slavery people are living in without Christ, then, you know, uh, we deserve to fail because we have not been able to communicate the, the power and the depth of the gospel.
0: And that's my oh. beef. That's my beef with my beloved synod. If, if we don't believe what we believe, then we deserve to fail. And I mean, just really, if, if, if we have to change what we're doing to become authentic, then really, like, let's just hook our wagon to somebody else. We don't have enough actual chutzpah in the world to be fighting over this. I mean, I, think, I know we think that, you know, a couple universities is like a big deal, right? But look, look, no. I, I drive by... The Roman Catholic Diocese headquarters here in Rockford, middle of nowhere, Illinois, is bigger than the Miss International Center. I mean, it's just we just don't even know the leagues we we think we're playing in, and here we are bickering about it. You know, um, I like what you said, and I wrote down. Now it's on the screen. I know you can't see this part, but I wrote it, it, over both of us there. It said ideology is another word for idolatry. Like, how closely related is you know icon? Idol, image, yeah. and idea—I don't think they're as far away from each other as possible. And the root of the word idolatry is just the worship of that picture,
1: right? And an idea is has, just a it all, picture. It also—it also has to do with seeing. So, what—what what do the eyes gaze upon that they don't look away from? Well,
0: and right. but that's what ideology does to the mind. Yeah, it, it right. precisely makes you unable to look Absolutely. away from
1: itself. Right. Huh? Right. Right, and it, and it's always self reinforcing. I mean, if you're talking about media fragmentation, part of media fragmentation is not just platform or age group uh, or demographic. It's it's also ideology. So I'm going to hang out in this corner of Twitter, or um, it, I it does I don't it to you. You know, right? Does it to
0: you with the algorithms? I mean, right, you you exactly. end up in that corner. I'm right. I'm frustrated by the advertisements that I'm tired of seeing. Like I bought one already. I don't need more, you know. I
1: ah.
0: already got one. You see, I can even say that. So we got about uh, five minutes before I gotta head out on our. We go to. <laughs> we live um a, a, across the street from our city properly, but you yeah. know it's yeah, thirty minutes to the other side of town, and so so we go to town on Tuesdays to go shopping for meat go. and uh, and fill up the freezer a little bit, although. Costco has, I think, still has the limit uh, this week as well on, on beef. Have you had any beef issues where you at? Are you guys seeing your, your stores no. all just fine?
1: No, no. There was some limit on chicken, I think, at Kroger, but that was it. Okay. So, yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. You live without your wings a little bit. But burgers in the summer. I don't know. You need those. Anything else? I mean, uh, back on our initial sheet that we had, let's see, that we wanted to – Is from last time's conversation, right? Where did that one even go? I got four more here anything else that you remember that we were speaking about
1: to get out? I mean, something, something that we talked a lot about that we can just save for next time is a lot of the practicalities involving government and um, the nature of obedience and the difference between obeying and submitting. Um, We talked about that. Um, There's also a lot to be said about um, uh, the judiciary and its role In American government because we we've talked about kind of local political involvement, but um, there's the fact that the United States is basically run by Whatever the current interpretation of the law is within the federal judiciary. So Talking about that kind of stuff I think is going to be important going forward too because if we're going to be cohesive We also have to understand like that's going to vary widely based on like what federal district circuit we're in like what federal circuit we're in Um, If you're in circuit nine, it's gonna be very different than if you live in like South Dakota so Um, so where do you find, where do you find information on that system
0: of governments? Do you have to join like a political party or an activist group to learn about that kind of stuff?
1: No, no, you basically have to, you know, you honestly, on a lot of this stuff, you could start from Wikipedia articles and just learn about stuff that most people don't even know, you know, like Marbury versus Madison, which establishes the principle of judicial review. You can go, you can go read all of these things. Yeah, but people don't do that.
0: People don't do that. Adam, I need I need someone like you to put them in bullet points, and then we'll talk about them, and then we'll all know fast.
1: Right, right, right. No, I understand that, and I'm actually I'm doing writing uh, for a couple different venues that should be out. One of them at least will be out um, in about a month. Well, if if you feel like if you feel like putting that into a, a 30 minute
0: just YouTube style right now you by yourself talk to the camera about what it means um i will gladly publish it on my youtube channel as sure. a resource so
1: sure. you let me know because that's yeah. something that we want to have out there because i think this interaction between um our traditional teaching on this stuff and actually being in america has not quite been articulated well enough and um i want us to be as cohesive as possible for the Amen. future because um, I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't see it getting brighter. I can so. tell
0: you, I completely am with you. I, I, but I can tell you the fight is not going to be with that information that you're putting together, although that's what we need. That's the resource we need. Mm-hmm. But we first have to get out of denial about the situation. Yeah. And I still see a great deal of denial, not just on an institutional level, um, but on a, like a, a lower middle class, middle middle class level. Sure. Uh yeah. just and, and then I see other individuals who are who are doing the math growing increasingly restless and angry. But I also there's a danger in that too, yeah, uh, right. which is that you know we we in fact do think we have to join a militia or something truly not helpful at this time mm-hmm. uh so <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> anyway so, if you're gonna do that don't tell anyone on the internet that's so.
0: correct <laughs> <laughs> no but it, but it is because that's they, then you get pegged with that too right you get, you right, get exactly. shoveled into that corner they all right blah 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 and yeah. um so these conversations uh are necessary because the world we live in is unstable and i for one i'm thankful that it's unstable as a sign of the coming of Jesus Christ at the end of time to make it stable again. Uh, and I I just don't want to be left unaware of my options, my family's options, my congregation's options uh, in the present darkness right. because of a blind spot of happenstance history in which <clears throat> Lutheran theology has all the tools it needs for the present moment, but has kind of forgotten what they do because right. we're too busy arguing yep. about what they do.
1: Right. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> you want to, you want to use the tools because you want to look at the forward, at the future, you want to look forward and see it as bright, as hopeful, because mm. you belong to Jesus Christ and he's risen from the dead. So yes. you don't need to have like trepidation, terror, worry, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Uh, Jesus doesn't act that way when he rises from the dead. So you don't need to either. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's still yeah. going to proclaim peace to us so we can go forward in that peace. I'm not worried. I'm actually kind of excited, very energized by this stuff because, uh, you know, at least it gives us something fun to do, uh, keeping everything. Every, every time I get worried,
0: I just tell myself I'm in some bizarro version of like Tron Fallout 4 LCMS you know, edition. Uh, and and all I got to do is remember that and that if I somehow die or it all blows up, I'm just going to wake up somewhere better. And then it's kind of like, well, you know, this, you know, the video game doesn't have the textures quite to this level yet. The VR is pretty good here. So, <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's, right. it's just a nice head hack. Uh,
1: you know what would be worse <laughs> in a future where institutions are having enormous difficulty and things are going badly and we have to defend ourselves? You know what would be worse? If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, yes, uh, but he has. So honestly, no big deal in the long term. Yes, yeah. yes. Truth, truth.
0: Let's do this again sooner than
1: later, Adam. Because
0: okay. um, I, I don't. We have the time, but it's more than just whether we have the time for an hour's conversation here and there. Uh, I think that uh, the these conversations are much needed. I, I would that they were happening on a higher and more more wide level than my channel can provide, but we're just gonna do what we can and. Yeah. um Your outside perspective for us Lutherans is very helpful. Your um, ecumenical perspective for the real goals of Mad Christianity as a channel, which is not to just talk about Lutheran problems, but to exercise ourselves from unnecessary Lutheran humanity— um, uh, without losing or leaving behind any of the authentic Christianity Lutheranism has preserved for this very moment in time. And you're you're a blessing to that in, in more ways than one. So thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Um,
0: and uh, everyone else, uh, this will be on the podcast as a bonus content sometime probably next week. Of course, Mad Monday's newsletter did come out this week. Uh, I can't remember what I just wrote about. Yesterday, because I wrote today about next week. And it all has to do with the number 42, which may or may not mean anything to you. Um, uh, Adam, do you have a reference point for the number 42?
1: Uh, I believe you just turned 42, as you told us. I that's did. That's I, I did. That number means
0: something much more to a lot of people who have read a book series called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I have not oh, read. No. But I've seen the movie. Not. And although the movie terrible, it does explain 42. and. Okay. If you care, there's a newsletter next Monday. Maybe it'll you know, be there. So sign up for Mad Mondays if you haven't already. It's a way to stay in touch with your world and know all the most recent news, but with a solid dose of Christianity inside the middle of it all. Patreon is the way all this stuff happens. Uh, Subscription helps provide the, the uh, materials, the apps, all that, as well as pay for some daily bread for myself and my family. So you can find that stuff in the links below and everything else at revfisk.com. There's more I should say, but we're good. Adam, uh, one more, one more question for you. you yeah, sure. You're teaching class. Is classes resume soon? Not yet. Soon? I mean, online I'm teaching right now. In
1: the summer, we'll be live again.
0: In terms of, uh, I know that a lot of the conversation at the seminary at the lunch tables was always sort of what Fort Wayne grads would tell me was the real formative
1: time and place, along with chapel. Um, yeah. uh, that's just gone now, right? Big, yeah. Yeah, big agree on that. I mean, I think if we don't have coffee hour, like let's just hang it up you know what i mean right um right because that's where that's where we can the do this human from anywhere. that's where the human formation the ability to talk theology with each other the ability to talk to each other without being offended constantly all of that that's where that comes from that's where you become brothers um so that's absolutely yeah totally key yeah we didn't
0: talk at all about the local proximity of the
1: human body
0: as essential to real personal understanding
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah which we did last time? time
0: yeah we did last time all okay, right yeah cool I was going to ask, like, what was the big kind of uh, emotional
1: feel you're getting from the student body? was kind of where that was going a little bit. I think they're, you know, they're lonely, um, as as am I, honestly, as their prof. Um, And uh, it's totally weird. It's just so weird being so disconnected, um, so unnatural. Um, Our churches are opening up again here in Indiana. So that's been amazing. But um, yeah, um, the disconnect has been has been awful don't want to do this again
0: cool next time i want to talk about how that opening up is going if numbers if you know and what you hear of are yeah, sure. back or not because i'm thinking they won't be and i'm thinking there's going to be some really sad surprises for some congregations and schools particularly mm-hmm. as this goes forward yeah. but all right cool i said we're going to go like five times please don't wallow in the luck my friends remember jesus has risen from the dead that's a good reason to lift up your high no matter where you stand look for that last day as it comes and rock on